right. Good morning. Great to see everybody again. Hey, this would be a good time if you're a talk note person to pull out those talk notes and sharpen that pen. Don't lick the pen. It's still it's not a good thing to do, even not in COVID times, but it's just a expression. So, hey, before we jump in, though, to our talk for this morning, uh, I want to let those of you that maybe you weren't here last weekend or you weren't able to um, catch the live cast or on demand, we have this monument of stones here. You might be wondering, what are the stones all about? Well, last week on Memorial Day, um, we just kind of talked about the power of remembering and how one of the hallmarks of happy people is the ability to remember well. And so that's what we've done. We've just created a pile of remembering rocks. And so if there's a moment in your life that you feel it's important to remember. And that could be a positive or a negative moment, right? You could associate positive negativity with it. Um, And you'd like to remember that moment. And you'd like to always be reminded that, hey, listen, uh, God is present when I don't feel like God is present, that God is my help when I feel helpless, that God's, God's mercy triumphs over judgment. These things that we talked about last week, well, there's Sharpies here, and after, uh, I'd prefer you wait till after the message. It would be weird if you started to do it during the message. It might be a distraction for me uh, and others, uh, and I have a, you know I have a hard enough time staying on track. So uh, you could just write that event or that person, whatever it might be, and then you can add it to the memorial here. Uh, The red rocks represent, there's one red rock for every person who died of COVID in Larimer County uh, during the pandemic. And if you have a friend or a family member or acquaintance, a coworker, someone you know that died with COVID, uh, we want to encourage you to write their name on one of those red rocks, whether they were in Larimer County or not. To, to write the name on that rock as well. So you're welcome to participate in that. Another little quick announcement. Today's kind of a cool day, uh, besides it being Sunday, but it's kind of a cool day for Wendy and I. We were uh, coming into uh, church this morning, and Wendy was looking at uh, Facebook, looking on her phone to distract herself from my driving, which is normally what she does. And uh, so she's on there, and she says, oh, two years ago today was our first time in Loveland. Two years ago, this very day was we had come in to meet with the search team, and so that was on a Thursday. We met with them Thursday night. We met with a couple on Thursday, and a couple of the members of the search team, they showed us around, took us to the canyon, and we thought they were going to kill us. We're like, the only reason why you drive out here is to kill you, kill us. And we're like, this is a hoax, you know? And, uh, and we came over and uh, got to meet up, uh, some folks on Thursday, and then on Friday, had some interviews in person, and... Uh, and then Friday night had a, a meeting with the whole search team and some staff and got to meet John Smith. And then on Saturday, when we got home, uh, we got the phone call that we were invited to come and candidate and to serve you all. And so it's been two years to, that, to this day. So we thought that was kind of cool. Some of you might not, but we did. <laughs> so <laughs> I'll rue the day, you, you know. <laughs> I'm your different smarts or whatever his name was from Perry the Platypus in that show. I don't know, so... Listen, we're in a series called The Spirituality of Happiness. If you're a guest today, tuning in for the first time or maybe in the room, my name is Ryan and I am the lead pastor here. (laughs) Don't adjust your TVs. (laughs) It's true. And uh, we've been in this series called The Spirituality of Happiness. And we're kind of exploring what science and scripture have to say about happiness and being a happy person. And uh, our anchor verse, the verse that I would love for everybody to kind of memorize, uh, read through on a daily basis, just get into your spirit, whether you're brand new to this church thing, exploring God, Jesus, or whether you've been around it for a long time like me, uh, it's good to just kind of put this in our hearts. And this verse uh, from a book of poetry in the Bible, Psalms, says, happy are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or take the path that sinners tread or sit in the seat of scoffers, but their delight is in the law of the Lord. On 
his law, they meditate day and night. And this last part can be a little tricky uh, because sometimes we hear it and we're like, oh, wait a second. I'll have to, I, I'm supposed to read my Bible all day long, every day. No, that's not what this is saying. Uh, actually, the, from New Testament writers and the gospel writers, we understand that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. And so there's so much joy in life that is found when we meditate on Jesus as a perfect expression of the invisible God, this, this Jesus who walked with mercy and with uh, nonviolence and with a, kind of this judgment-free attitude that just loved and embraced everyone and tried to help everyone understand the truth of who they were uh, to God. And that's, that's worth meditating on day and night. And that produces a strength. And we've been talking about happiness not as our emotional response to good or bad things that happen to us, but what is that disposition that we have that kind of puts us above our circumstances. That's the idea. And as we kind of get started today, I need to make a confession. I need to tell you a little story. I have a friend who became a, a, a nemesis. Y'all ever had that in your life? Somebody that the relationship starts off really positive, and then you realize they're a jerk, an absolute jerk, and you don't have anything to do with them. Anybody ever have that person in your life? Just me? I'm the only one? Okay, so this this guy, I thought we were going to be the best of friends. I thought this was going to be great. They were a neighbor. They lived, and you all had bad neighbors, right? So you know where this is going. Now, here's the, the bigger problem is this person was not only my neighbor, this person was also uh, a board member at the last church I served at. That's never good when you're the pastor and a board member becomes your arch enemy. It's, it, it doesn't end well. And it all started pretty, I thought, innocently of me looking out my window and seeing this man uh, who was my elder. We'll just say that. He was old. <laughs> Bill is his name. We'll call him Bill. Bill would, would run around the neighborhood just flaunting how good a shape he was in every morning. Just go out there, run as fast as he could with his dogs. And he was like 85 years old, just double my age, maybe even triple. He might have been 110. I don't know. But he was he just go out there and flaunt it, flaunt what good a shape he was in, just running around the neighborhood like it was nothing. And I realized something when I saw him out there. I said, I'm in trouble because I can't do that now. And he's three decades older than me. And I said, but that's what I want to be. Like when I'm that age, dinosaur-ish age, <laughs> Bill's age, I hope Bill's watching this. I said, I want to be able to do that. I don't want to be stuck. I want to be active. But I knew I need to make it that choice now. Like I was probably in my early 30s or so at the time, mid 30s. I said, I need to make that decision now because if I wait till I'm 60 to decide to move, it might, might be too late. That was, I just had enough wherewithal to go. So I actually humbled myself and I said, Bill, like, what are you doing? Like, and so we talked and we signed up for a couple of, like, I would just watch him and I would go run and he got me into like cycling. And I said, well, what if we did a triathlon now? And so we would, we did our first triathlon together. And this is me and Bill, uh, the first triathlon we ever did called the Pumpkin Man in New Hampshire. And uh, as you can tell, this was at a good point in our relationship. And uh, we had done this triathlon and this is where it started to go south. Uh, after that, he just began to flaunt his, his victory in my face. Like, look at this picture, right? He's holding up an award that he wins because he was faster than me, okay? And he just wouldn't let it go. He'd take my picture, Ryan, and he would send this to me all the time, right? And I, I tried to be the better person. You know, he was on the board. This guy's my boss. He's my neighbor. I need to borrow stuff from him. He had way better yard equipment than I did. So I was like, I gotta, how, how, I can't give up that privilege. So I was trying to be nice to him. 
And, and, and he just continued to flaunt it in my face to the point where it really came to a head. That last summer that we were there in Maine, we did our last triathlon together, uh, and it was called the Lobster Man. And uh, it was in the ocean. The swim was in the ocean, and we did that. And uh, here we are, you know, again, I'm putting on my best game face here. And you can see we both have our finisher medals, but he just, he couldn't let it go at the finisher medal. He had to flaunt it yet again that he would get an award for being faster, right? And it really bothered me because when you do these triathlons, they write your age on your calf. You know that? They write your age on your calf just so that you know when like 38 is written on my calf and 70,000 is written on his, I'm looking at the 70,000. Like I never even saw it. He would just beat me, to beat the snot out of me. He was such, but he was such a good motivator. But I just, Bill is a good friend. I miss Bill. He was my guy who would keep me motivated because I did. I would look at his life and go, that's what I want. Like, I don't, I want to be active and, ha- and, and, and have life. He ended up having to have like some work done on his knee. I was like, it's going to slow him down. <laughs> I tried to be super compassionate about it. But I was like, you're going to be able to get back into it. It's like, maybe I'll beat you in the 70 and older age category as a 40 year old, you know, he still would beat me the jerk. Um, but Bill was kind of this reminder in my life, right? Bill was this kind of friendly reminder about physical health that no matter what I did, no matter how hard I tried not to think about it, I was going to age. I don't know if you know that or not. This is going to happen to you. Um, and, and as you age, things happen to your body. But I saw in Bill this like really fascinating reality that like he just stuck at it and just tried to stay healthy. And he would, he would do things. And sometimes in our lives, we need these gentle reminders. And if we don't get the gentle reminders, sometimes we get the not so gentle reminders, <laughs> right? We get the not so gentle reminders that we haven't been caring for ourselves. And so I hope that today is a gentle reminder Uh, We're actually going to talk about our physical bodies today. Now, again, I know that my spiritual gift is offending people, and and I am walking into this yet another minefield, right? I'm doing my best to to not, but I recognize that this is a a tricky subject, and it's really easy to feel judged, and I'm not here to judge you. That's, That's not the point at all. I'm just here to hopefully bring up some truth that we can think about. So you're going to get reminded today of like, We know what the key factors are in physical well-being, right? What are they? Nutrition, like what we eat, exercise, how we move our bodies. So like what we put in the fridge that we then put in our bodies, what we move, how we move our exercise, and how we rest, right? The little lavender drops you put on your pillow to sleep at night, right? How many oil freaks do we have? How many oil people do we have in the house? (laughs) Sorry, y'all in your like oils, oils, they're everywhere, right? That's, we know that, right? We, we know the scientific data is out there that these help us stay healthy. But there's lots of scientific research that's being done that actually connects your physical health with your, what science would call your spiritual and your, uh, well, what we would call, excuse me, what in church world we would say spiritual health, but you might hear it as like if you read an article or a blog about your mental health or about your emotional health. So I think the kind of churchy language for mental and emotional health would be our spiritual health. That's how we talk about it. And we're finding all the science continues to show regular exercise lowers your risk of depression, lowers your risk of anxiety, uh, improves mental well-being, that what you eat Uh, has a lot to do with insomnia. What you eat has a lot to do with, again, risk of depression, anxiety, and and also like sleep. Could you imagine that they do science and studies to find out that if you don't sleep, you're you're tired and fatigued? Like, (laughs) I was like doing research and I was like, there really was a longitudinal study on this? Like, 
feels like you could just ask any freshman in college, hey, if you don't sleep, how much energy do you have, right? Like, that doesn't feel like we needed to have a grant from the government for that one, but you know, whatever. But here's the thing. So we all, science knows, we all know this, right? We all know that these things are important in our lives, but we don't talk about it. Like in the whole midst of the pandemic and the reality of the health, the, uh, of health concerns, like the data and the science shows that just the general wellness of the nation plays a huge impact on our ability to fight off disease. But we don't talk about it. Now, why don't we talk about it? Because pop culture muddies the conversation, right? Pop culture muddies the conversation, muddies up the waters. People that are as beautiful as me make it very difficult to talk about <laughs> It took you a while. Some of you are like, am I allowed to laugh at that? Because he is ugly. <laughs> you got the joke. Okay, listen. <laughs> uh, the, the, but pop culture, like everywhere we look, our advertisements, our bulletin boards, and I think we're getting better about this, but you look on magazine covers, wherever it might be, like we are caught up not in physical health, right? Even like magazines that are about shape and well-being like, and physical health, they put up like the, the person who has done nothing but prepared to be in that picture for the last six months of their life, right? Like, that's all they've done. It's, it's completely unrealistic. And what happens is it's the beauty culture that muddies the water because the beauty culture focuses on appearance and not health. The beauty culture is caught up in appearance and that produces shame. That this is what health looks like. These are the beautiful people. This is what we mean. So, so that muddies the conversation. And the truth is, what culture oftentimes deems as physically beautiful is actually very unhealthy. Like what it takes to do that, like it's unhealthy and unreasonable. And so what the science tells us, and what I don't want to confuse us with today, because I think scripture points us this, is science tells us that the happiest of people, like they value their physical well-being, not necessarily appearance. So, so, so there is this understanding that when you look, when the science of happiness says one of the hallmarks is people that care for and tend to rest and renewal, they're talking about physical wellness, well-being, and it has nothing to do with what you look like. And so I, I want to make sure that from the beginning that, that you don't hear me say things like you should look like this or you should weigh this or you should eat this food. I have no idea what you should or shouldn't eat. I am not a doctor. I am not a doctor. I, I didn't do, I only did seven years of school, not 11. I, I don't have that. I don't have any idea how to do all that nonsense, right? We go to doctors to help us with that stuff, right? I didn't go, I'm not a beautician. You do not want me doing your hair. It's just true. It's just a true statement. You don't want that. You don't want that. So, so we're going to leave a lot of that into the well-capable hands of human beings who have brains like yourselves. Like you're going to have to figure out how to take and apply some of this, but I want to talk at the higher level of principles, okay? But we have to recognize, not talking about appearance, not talking about weight, not talking about any of that stuff, not talking about whether you should be able to run a 5K or a 10K, none of that stuff, all right? And the reason why we're talking about it is because the spiritual life and the physical life are what we call in symbiotic relationship. They are a symbiosis. And you know this, you know this instinctively, right? For example, if you're feeling down, right? If you have a mild seasonal depression, if, and I'm not talking about clinical depression, I'm saying you feel down for whatever reasons, you feel wore out. Are you motivated to be active? No. Do you, you, you don't feel well. Your thoughts, right? 
When you feel drained, when you don't have energy, your thoughts start to drift. There is a connective tissue here. Plato said it this way, because Plato would, would talk a lot about like spirit and, and soul and flesh and, and the whole. And, and Plato said that the part right, can never be well unless the whole is well. So we've gathered here in this place to think about our spiritual condition, right? That's generally why we would connect with the community of faith. It's not to learn like stuff, because you could go get a podcast and spend 40 minutes listening to something way better than this. I can promise you that, right? But there's this thought that we're gathering here in community and connective tissue because it's good for our souls spiritually. It's not just knowledge, right? But what we know is that there is this connection between the two. We're whole people, we are spiritual people and we are physical people. And my, my kind of thought today is that if we try and separate those two, if we think that all I have to do is think about my spiritual life and neglect my physical life, or, which I think happens in our world, all I have to do is think about my physical life, I don't need to think about my spiritual life, we end up not well, not whole, not at peace. And so here's the premise. You and I cannot have physical health until we learn a spiritual principle. And this spiritual principle is curbing our freedom. So you thought I was going to say appetite, but it's freedom. I think that what is the ground, like ground floor reality of our inability to kind of recognize and understand the importance of our physical life is, particularly for us in the West, freedom. How many of y'all know that the greatest, most important freedom for those of us who have grown up in America is what? Freedom. That's it. Freedom, it is our number one value, freedom. Do not impinge on my personal freedom. And we saw this with the pandemic. We saw the arguments. We saw the deep polarization. When someone feels like this is my freedom, don't, don't tell me that I can't. We just are grounded in this. This is why, by the way, as a, as a global like, humanity, as a species, we're not good at things like pandemics, <laughs> We are not good at like pandemics. We're not good at things that, because they infringe upon and we have to learn to give up our freedoms to actually benefit everyone. It's why we are do terrible at, at managing things like outbreaks and pandemics because it means nothing's wrong with me. Why should I stop? But that's, but that's a very personalized understanding of freedom. And I get that we have that. I mean, our country was founded on the principle, don't tell me what to do. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's I mean, I, I've walked the Freedom Trail in Boston. I've stopped at all the bakeries along the way, right? I mean, it's, it's amazing what you can get. But I've also seen, like, that's where the tea went overboard, right? Like, don't even try it, right? And, and we're wired differently. You just have to know that, that freedom is such, it's ingrained in us, and we don't know it. And I'm not, I'm, I'm certainly not saying that you're a bad person if you value freedom. Again, this is what gets me in trouble. Like, just keep listening, please. That's my, keep listening. I, I remember being in London and visiting a friend. I was there for a conference. Uh, actually, it was right after I came here this week. So we were, I was there. I went to a conference and then we were visiting a partner and, uh, and we had just learned about the sugar tax that they had imposed in the UK. This is a real thing. And like for people like me that love sugar, it's just like gives me the shudders to think about it. But like you, if you bought like a full on sugar soda, you paid more than if you bought like a, a less sugar or a zero sugar soda. And it was all based on this tax system. So you go and you buy a coffee at a coffee shop. If you order that coffee with cream and sugar in it, it costs you more for the sugar. And our friends just kind of take it. They're like, yeah, it's a sugar tax. And, and I'm like, what? Are you kidding me? 
And so like, I'm trying to like talk about how unreasonable it is. This is the dumbest thing ever because you can order that same cup of coffee and walk over to the serve yourself counter with all the sugar packets and put all the sugar you want into it and they can't tax you for that. This is craziness, right? So by the time we're done there, like he's ready to lead a revolution, right? Like, yes, we need to have a, a sugar party, not a tea party, you know? But it just, you realize like, it's just, I, I say that story to say that freedom is baked into us. And it's not a bad thing. It's just baked into us. And it has to, what I, my, my premise is, it, we have to learn to submit that to the Lordship of Jesus. Otherwise, we get into a lot of trouble. And that's what happened to a particular church that we hear about in the New Testament, a church in Corinth, is that they were living in all their freedom, but they had no kind of wisdom to temper that. And so Paul writes this letter to a church that he started in a town called Corinth, and they're all up in arms because the Corinthians had a freedom problem. And that is this, that they loved their freedom, but they didn't understand that freedom without wisdom wounds. Freedom without wisdom wounds. And so they were just kind of living this life of freedom. They didn't realize how their actions that they were free to do affect other people. And this particularly came about with this big question of, can't we just keep going with our friends to the temple when they make their sacrifices and have a party with them? Because that's what you would do. You'd go to the local temple, make your sacrifice to the gods. It was like a hibachi grill. They would, they would cook it up for you and then you'd take it and then you'd eat it. Like I'm, you, it's kind of what it was. It was a very social thing and this is what they did and this is how, you know. And there was this big argument, are we allowed to do this? Is it a sin? Is it right? Is it wrong? And I know this is so foreign for you to think about Christians arguing about what's a sin and what's not, but this used to happen all the time. I mean, it used to happen big time. People would argue over what was right and wrong. I know we don't do that anymore, but we've, seen, we've evolved so much in the last 2,000 years. Uh, and so Paul's like, listen, here's the deal. And he starts to like work them through this argument. And he basically is saying in the argument, Hold, hold on. Like when you go to this temple, here's what happens. Here's what you're saying to the world. And he says, but you're also like eating the body of Christ as well. So he kind of lays out kind of the wisdom in not going. But he never says like, oh, you're an evil person if you do this, right? And it kind of culminates in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He sets things up and he, and he says it again in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. This is what he says. All things are lawful, but not all things are beneficial. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Now, this is a mind-blowing statement to fundamentalist Christianity, like my heritage, right? It's like, nobody told me that was in there. <laughs> Where basically, you maybe have heard this said, that all things are permissible, but not all things are profitable. That in Christ, when you fully understand that you are loved by God, there is no law that, that you could like, break or violate that changes that reality. That's just the truth of it. And so when you ask the question, is it right or is it wrong? It's actually the wrong question. What Paul's giving us is the better question. The best question is, is it beneficial or is it not beneficial? Or is it wise or is it unwise? And I think Paul would say to the Corinthians, unwise behavior is when our freedom drives us rather than wisdom. So you are unwisely going at this time, in this culture, in this history, at the start of a community where all this stuff is being done. Like you're, it is an unwise thing for you to go and eat at the temples. It, it's just not wise to do. It's not beneficial for lots of reasons. And he lays that out. And, and this is what becomes so powerful. So, so he goes on in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. This is the key word, do everything for the glory of God. 
See, it's such a better question. Like if I do this in my life, if I say this thing, if I go here, if I, whatever it might be, is this being done for the glory of God or is this being done for my glory? Because freedom, if we want to value freedom and say, this is it, it's I can do whatever I want, that actually is displaying my glory, right? That's my value. But when we we harness ourselves and we tether ourselves to divine wisdom, we're displaying God's glory, right? So my glory is about living into my desires, my passions, my reputations at stake. What will people think about me? What do I want from the world? Maybe even what do I want for the world? But God's glory is about God's desires. And if you don't like the word God, put the word love in there. It's about what love desires. It's about what love's reputation is all about. It's about love's vision for the world. So all things are permissible, but not all things are profitable. So think about it like this. And I, this is what happens when you live into a spirituality that says, we're not going to create rules because rules just become ways in which we abuse people spiritually. That's what happens. People in my profession, like me, we create rules, and then we tell you, you have to follow the rule so that your eternal well-being is secured. And so my thing is, I want to strip me of that power over you. I want to free you from that by saying, there's no rules. Do you have to go to church? Nope, you don't have to go to church. Do you have to give in the offering? Yes. No, I'm just kidding. I love it. I love to joke around about that stuff because everybody freaks out about giving and I don't want to. Okay, so no, you don't have to. All things are permissible, but are all things profitable? Right? How much fun would it be to, to gather to worship out under the 100 degree Colorado sun without any shade tents at least? Not very much fun, right? It's, it's, and so people will, when they hear an understanding of spirituality that says full freedom, they'll equate that with, oh, so you're saying I can do whatever I want. You say, well, no. Well, the Bible says that divorce is a sin, and you just said that you told those people that they should get a divorce. So, yeah. Wait a second. This is not, uh, does that mean I can just go out and do whatever I want? Does that mean I can just go out and have an affair? It's not a sin to go do that? No. Of course you can't go do that. Why? Well, okay, think of it this way. If, if, if God is, if the baseline for healthy spirituality is that God is love, and that God loves you and God loves me perfectly, so there's nothing you could do, there's nothing I could do that would ever cause God to love me any more or less, right? Nothing at all. So let's just say for a, a, a second that I leave this place, take my family, drop them off at home, tell them, oh, I forgot something at the store. Rather than go to the store, I meet some person at a hotel and, and have an affair with them. Does God love me any more or less for having done that? I just gave you the answer. No. God's love for me is consistent. So is it permissible? Sure. Now let's talk about the profitability of that little move, right? Uh, I'm probably going to lose my job. Uh, I'm probably going to lose my family. I'm probably going to lose the, what future I might have in my profession. There's all types of things that would say not profitable, right? Why? Because I exercise my freedom over God's wisdom for my life and my marriage, See the difference between, oh, it's just a rule. You got to follow it. No, no, no. Like, just let's think about this for a second. It's why there are times and moments in people's lives where things that I think are so heartbreaking are important and are vital and true and are necessary. Many of you have walked through the pain of divorce and you would say, I would never want anybody to go through that. But was it the absolute right thing to do for your life? Yes. Were you in an abusive scenario? Were you in a situation where you were not being given life, where you're being taken advantage? Yes. So what do you do? You make the wise choice. And in that moment, the wise choice hurt. 
And that's, I think, the, the, what, what a mature faith understands. And so we, we temper it. We temper our freedom with the wisdom of God, right? Now, let's hold that thought and quickly ask the question, well, what about my, my, my physical life? What, what wisdom does Scripture offer me in relationship to it? So let's remember wisdom, right, tempers our freedom. And let's remember that it's about the glory of God, right? So here's, here's a few things that Scripture, I think, reveals to us, the New Testament writers do, particularly Paul. Our physical body doesn't belong to us. We're stewards of it. So this physical body, flesh and blood, is, is a gift that you've been given, and you are a steward of that. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, which you have from God, that you are not your own? So that's, that's pretty revolutionary. Like, that's pretty inspired th thinking, in my opinion. It says, for you were bought with a price. That's a metaphor for being a slave to Christ Jesus, being bought out of slavery, actually. It's a metaphor. You brought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body, right? To glorify God is to say God's program, God's way, God's wisdom. So you glorify God in your body. So your physical body is not your own. If you submit yourself to, to the way of Jesus, right? Then we have to, then we say, okay, this isn't my own. And we ought to recognize that the physical body is fragile. It's fragile. Can I get an amen from anybody over 40? <laughs> Under 40, you can just ignore this. I know no matter what I say, you're gonna be like, no way, let's go jump out of an airplane, right? <laughs> I'm like, I can't even jump down the steps, all right? But, but our physical bodies are fragile. We have to recognize that. And this isn't like something that is just like new or like scripture, but scripture affirms this. But it's fragile for a purpose because in its fragility, it shows the power of God. So in 2 Corinthians, uh, the writer says, for we do not proclaim ourselves. In other words, we're not talking about ourselves. We're talking about Jesus. Jesus as Lord, which is different than Caesar. Always, whenever you hear anybody in the New Testament say Jesus is Lord, you've got to finish with not Caesar. That's what they're saying. Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. And we ourselves are slaves for Jesus' sake, not Caesar's, right? I mean, th this is the whole program, right? It's not the way of the world. And, and Paul goes on to say, for it is the God who said, let light shine out of darkness. So imagine that picture, darkness, lights shining out, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So we see the fullness of the glory of God in Jesus. Now that shines through us, and that's a treasure, he says. But this treasure that we have, the ability to shine the glory of God, is in clay jars, clay jars so that it may be made clear that this extraordinary power belongs to God and does not come from us. Clay jars, fragile. Clay jars, you drop a clay jar from here, it shatters. Whenever I think about clay jars, I think about the Dead Sea Scrolls, don't you? Am I right? That's what we think about. The Dead Sea Scrolls found at Qumran, right? I mean, it's just this beautiful archeological find for those of us that are geeked out uh, with, with ancient Hebrew writings. Like this kid basically kicks a rock into a cave and he hears something shatter, and he goes in, and there's this treasure trove of clay jars that have scrolls that are about 2,000 years old. And they've been preserved in these just clay jars. And they have, they have affirmed what we know about the Hebrew Bible, these texts, that, that, that all of a sudden now we have versions of books like Isaiah 500 years older than what we had. And they are nearly identical. The preservation of these texts, I mean, it just affirms so much about the preservation of these texts. And it was what? It was in this clay jar that sat there. 
And it was powerful, but it was fragile. And then here's the last thing I want to say about Scripture and wisdom and our human body. And this is where I offend you deeply, and I don't mean to, but I just have to do it, okay? I know that was kind of an oxymoron, but I just have to say this, okay? There is a Bible word for the attitude, the heart attitude of neglecting your physical body. There is a Bible word for an attitude that says, I will live in my freedom and not temper it with wisdom. Can anybody guess what that Bible word is? It's everybody's fan favorite, gluttony. How many of y'all love that word gluttony? No, we don't like it. But here's what we do like about the word gluttony, because when we think of the word gluttony, we think of like Jabba the Hutt. And that puts all of us off the hook. Right? Like, I ain't no job of the hut. You know what I'm saying? Like, ah, that's not me. Okay? So listen, like, here's what Proverbs 22 says about this, right? It says, hear my child. Hear my child and be wise. Direct your mind in the way. I think God inspired that for those of you who like the Mandalorian. Just that verse right there, specifically for those of you that like the Mandalorian. So it says, do not be among wine bibbers. I'll let you figure out what that word means. We don't use it very often these days, but you can guess. And among gluttonous eaters of meat, for the drunkard and glutton will come to poverty and drowsiness will clothe them with rags. So here's my definition of gluttony. I don't think gluttony is, a, is something you end up as. I think gluttony is an attitude. I think gluttony is this idea that I will live in complete freedom regarding the care of my physical body. I will not put any wisdom into it. I, I just will live in complete freedom. And that attitude produces so much pain in our lives and, and more. So that's why it becomes known as one of the seven deadly sins. Some of you are like, amen, he's talking about sin. <laughs> I love that. When are you going to talk about sin? Right now. Right now. Here it is, everybody. Lean in. Lean in. <laughs> the crazy pastor actually does believe in sin, right? So the seven deadly sins, they get their name because they are wounds that keep on wounding, okay? There's my like turn of phrase. A sin is a wound. It's a wound in me that someone gives to me or it's a wound that I give to someone else. But what's unique about like what the church calls these seven deadly sins is because they just keep on producing more and more wounds. It's the snowball effect. They're very dangerous. Pope Gregory I in the 6th century was the one to kind of codify and think about this. He was known as Gregory the Great. And then Thomas Aquinas in the 13th century, he did his huge theological treatise and spent a lot of time writing about them. But the, the, what makes these sins so unique is that they just produce so much death over and over and over again. Their pride, greed, lust, envy, gluttony, anger, sloth. That's a, that's a good to-do list, right? And the, the, what makes it so dangerous is because gluttony is an attitude that just, it just flows into so many areas of our lives. Pride flows into so many areas of our lives. This is what Thomas Aquinas said about gluttony. He said, gluttony denotes not any desire of eating and drinking. It's not just any desire, but an inordinate desire. Leaving the order of reason. So the, the key phrase is there, inordinate. So you've left the order of reason. In other words, you've left wisdom. My two great values in life are faith and reason. I know that might seem contradictory, but those, those inform my life. I cannot have faith without reason, and I cannot have reason without faith. I get all jacked up. So those are my two values, really, if you had to narrow them down to two. And when you leave one behind, you get a problem. You can have inordinate faith. <laughs> and he says, reason is where, where, the good, uh, where the good value of moral virtue sits. Like, that's where it is. 
And so it's when we leave reason out of the eating and the drinking and what we do with our bodies that we enter into this thing called gluttony. And gluttony has results, right? So this verse that we looked at in Proverbs, the results are poverty and drowsiness, right? They lead to these things. They lead to it. Drowsiness. Y'all ever think of drowsiness as like an effect of a deadly sin? <laughs> we don't, but let's just talk about it. So drowsiness is really the result of what we talked about at the very beginning, nutrition, exercise, and rest being imbalanced. And so I'm going to call nutrition, exercise, and rest the trinity of physical well-being. All right? I'm a Trinitarian believer. Some of you might not think that, but I really am. I believe that this, this beautiful mystery of the Trinity, of God in three persons, persons is a metaphor, I, I will say that hands down, but it is a flow of love in the universe. It is a flow of love between what we call God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It's a constant outpouring of generative love, love that creates, love that sustains. That's what we see happening. And so in the same way, I think these three realities pour into one another, Think about it. If I eat well, I can fuel. I'm fueling myself for my activity, my exercise. And if I'm exercising and active in the right way, I'm fueling myself for sleep. And if I'm sleeping well, then I'm fueling myself back up for eating well, for exercising well. When I'm exercising well, I have the right appetite. It's a constant flow. So here's what I would say. And it all relates to this idea of the glory of God. I'm demonstrating the glory of God in this. So don't miss this. Here's the point. All right, here's the point. When we ignore these things, when we don't consider, when we don't take wisdom into account with our freedom, with our physical bodies, we dim the glory of God in us. And I happen to believe that there is no other space that the glory of God is revealed as powerfully as in the human being. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. You just got to get there. (laughs) You got to be able to get those feet going. There's something so powerful. And I believe the whole earth is filled with the glory of God, all of it. We see it everywhere. But there's the crown, it seems to me, of creation is the physical human body. And we don't want to dim that. So in your everyday normal peacemaking life, see, this is where it gets super practical and I'm going to be super fast because you have to figure this out. You're smart people. You go to this church. I'm just saying. The smartest of smart people are a part of Crossroads, right? So here's the thing. Three, three quick things. Think intentionally about what you put into your body. Think about intentionally about your nutrition. Think about intentionally about your exercise. Think intentionally about your rest. Just be intentional about those things. And that's what I can tell you. Like, think it through. How much rest does my body need? It's different for everybody. What kind of food does my body respond to? What, what kind of exercise is good for me? How should I be active? And that's going to be based on all types of things you like. But the, the principle is be intentional. That's wisdom. Be intentional, Okay. Look at that. I didn't tell you what to eat, right? I'm not here to tell you that, okay? Second thing is this. Act relationally. Act relationally when you're breaking old habits and forming new habits. All the research in change theory tells us that your likelihood of actually changing is skyrockets when you're with somebody, when you're doing it together, when you have a bill brink to just tick you off the whole time you're trying to run this triathlon. And this 80,000-year-old guy is just making you feel terrible about your, no, I mean, Bill and I had so much fun those days. We would, and just even in between, just always asking each other how we're training, and we would have wonderful conversations about God and family, and he poured into my life, and I hope to believe that somehow I was able to pour a little bit into this beautiful man's life, you know. So be, in, be relational, and then I want to encourage you to grow spiritually. 
Connect the dots between your physical life and your spiritual life. It's not about the mirror. It can't be about the mirror or the scale. It's got to be about your soul. Because if it becomes about the mirror or the scale, it will never end and it will produce all other kinds of problems. So grow spiritually. Because here's the thing, it is important. Like your body, your physical body is connected to your spiritual body. And we see this no more, no better in my opinion than in Galatians where Paul gives the fruits of the Spirit. And most of us love that fruits of the Spirit part, but the first verse before that, the verse before the fruits of the Spirit is like a list of everything awful you could do with your body. Like he lists it all. Like you wouldn't even think, but he, he says, he says the, 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 like the terrible things, the works of the flesh are immorality and impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, rivalry, jealousy, outbursts of fury, acts of selfishness, dissensions, factions. Need I go on? But he does. Occasions of envy, drinking bouts, orgies, and the like. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> what is and the like of an orgy? I just bet it's not healthy. I don't know, right? I have any idea. But then he says, in contrast, he doesn't give a whole bunch of things you should do with your physical body. He gives a whole bunch of spiritual realities. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. Why? Because they're connected. And at the very end, he says this, if we live in the Spirit, let us also follow the Spirit. Isn't that good? It seems so stupid to say it, right? It will, duh. But no, we don't do it. We, if we live in the Spirit, we follow the Spirit in all things, including our physical bodies. And what grows and flows out of this is temperance. Temperance is what will change your life. It will change the world around you. It will change your interactions. The church teaches that this is the counterpart to gluttony, temperance. Well, what is temperance? Voluntary restraint is how the, def the, the dictionary defines it. I define it as freedom bound by wisdom. That's temperance. Freedom bound by wisdom. And it teaches us balance. And, and our world is becoming more and more polarized. We need temperance to balance that conversation. That, yeah, you're absolutely right. It is a personal freedom to wear a mask or to not wear a mask, but I temper that freedom for the sake of wisdom. Again, I know that that might offend somebody. I'm not trying to. I just, I think there's this reality to what it really means to understand and live freedom. It is so, it is one of the most freeing things to voluntarily give up my freedom for someone else. Like, that is the definition of freedom. That's when Jesus says, go the extra mile. Like that's where freedom begins. The law is you got to go the first mile. Freedom is in the second mile. That's the crazy thing. But this is the upside down kingdom of God. It, it, temperance will teach us how to balance those things. It, it will teach us how to balance God's will with my will, how to balance my comfort with other people's pain. And it will grow patience. It will grow patience in us because we'll have to learn to be okay with no. We'll learn to tell ourselves no. And that's a powerful, powerful thing. So as we wrap up here, get you out of here, what's God inviting you into? We have a song for you today. And this song that the band's going to sing over you, um, it really has some powerful lyrics. And as you're just thinking about it, I would just encourage you to close your eyes and think about those next steps that are there. If you want to take one of those, maybe there's something else that you just sense God whispering into your heart. But this song, I think, is really beautiful, as, and it ties in, and you might not see it right away, so I want to just kind of point it out that there's the most powerful lyric in this song. It says, now everything that I am belongs to you. It's talking about God. And it doesn't say everything I have. It says everything I am, which I think is all of who we are, our personhood, the things that we have, our dreams, our desires, all that I am 
But it's grounded in the theme of the song, which says, the beautiful way that God loves me. And so the conversation around physical health, the conversation around sexuality, the conversation around money, the conversation around anything has to first and foremost be grounded not in what does the Bible say. It, it can't be grounded in, well, what did I, was I taught? It has to first of all be grounded in, do I understand that I am fully and perfectly loved by God? That is where it all begins. And when I get that, then I can hear the whisper of God say, hey, Ryan, you should give up your freedom here because it's not good for you. It's not wise for you. Don't worry about Sam. Don't worry about John. Don't worry about, about Sally. Like that, that's, let me work with them. But for you, you need to give it this freedom. It's not good for you. And now I don't feel condemned or judged or anything. what the Bible is. I live in that space. So, so as we journey into this physical life, it's important. Because if you don't ground the conversation in your, your loved, your whole, if you don't ground it there, all of a sudden it becomes about the mirror and the scale and shame and and a whole host of horrible, horrible things. So just as you consider what God might be inviting you into, ground it in this truth, the beautiful way that God loves you. And that will free us to say, everything I am belongs to you, God. And that, I think, is what it means to be a Christian. That is what I think it means to surrender our lives to the Lordship of Jesus. That is what it means to be saved. That is what it means to invite Jesus into your heart. Whatever words you want to use for that, the principle is, I get that the best place I could ever be is in your care, God and everything belongs to you. After this song, I'll give you a blessing, get you out of here. It's a good opportunity to finish filling out those connect cards or offering envelopes, whatever it might be, and just breathe for a moment or two and listen for God's voice. Mm -hmm.